You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. A living sacrifice is a willing sacrifice. It's a whole lot easier to be a dead sacrifice. Bang! You're gone. Now we'll sacrifice you. That's not the kind of sacrifice, no. You have, and I have the privilege of laying our lives on the altar every day. But just as you have the privilege of laying your life on the altar every single day, you can also walk off the altar anytime, anytime, any day, anytime. You can say, okay, I'm not willing. Each and every one of us are sinners. And no matter how good you try to be, you'll never be perfect. Because of that, you deserve punishment from our holy God. Yet because of his great love, God sent Jesus to redeem, forgive, and save you. In light of all that God has done for you, what is your response? Today, Pastor Danny encourages you to offer yourself as a sacrifice in response to his love. It won't be easy and it will require daily choice, but God deserves your life and your heart because he's given you so much. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Romans chapter 12 as he begins his message, God's will for your life. We are in the book of Romans. Grab your Bibles. Go to Romans chapter 12. And once you get the place in Romans chapter 12 to link where we've been uh, to where we are in the scriptures today, I'm going to read one verse from chapter 11, and then we'll go right into chapter 12. So once you find chapter 12, um, maybe on the same page, maybe on the page before, look back at chapter 11 and verse 32. So Romans 11, verse 32. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. God doesn't cause people to disobey. He wants them to realize they have disobeyed. We're a world full of sinners in need of a Savior. And the good news is For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus is the only savior of the world. There is no other name given to men under heaven by which we must be saved. We are lost. We are sinners We need a savior. And what this verse means practically is God has always been and is always working to bring individual lives to a place where they realize their need for a savior and they call out to the savior, Jesus Christ, and God is able then to have mercy on them. What a merciful God. What a merciful God. 
What a merciful God. Amen. Amen. He's a merciful God. And then once he's able to show us mercy because of our faith in Jesus Christ, then he just showers us with grace, grace, grace. We don't get what we do deserve, hell, damnation. That's the mercy of God. We get what we don't deserve, heaven. We're going to live in a world one day where there's no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. We're going to get new bodies. Oh, God, we need them. So God's always working to bring people to a place where they'll receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And then he's able to show them mercy, mercy, and then shower them with grace. Now, with that, now we go to chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, now he's talking to Christians. Now he's talking to people who have received Christ as Lord and Savior. Now he's talking to the church. In view of God's mercy to each one of us individually, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You're going to love and hate that you came to church today. I don't know how you can deal with these two verses, no matter who you are, no matter who we are, I'm including myself, and not be challenged by these two verses. It's not a fancy outline, but I'm going to try to do my best to teach what we just read. Let's go through it. Offering God my body as a Christian. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul the Apostle writes there, and God tells us through his pen that our bodies are created for the Lord. Therefore, it's not right for us to offer our bodies to sexual immorality. And we're going to go beyond that. But he talks about our bodies being created eternally for the Lord. My body, my body right now, because I'm married to a woman named Wendy, and now she takes my name because we've been betrothed, Mrs. Wendy Hodges. And the Bible says, great mystery, but a true statement, we have become one flesh. We're two people that have become one in marriage, in the holy bonds of marriage. And right now, in my marriage, my body belongs to my wife. And thank God, her body belongs to me. God gave us that. That's God's gift. God created marriage. God created sex. But it's to be enjoyed in the holy bond of matrimony. Now, we're going to come back to that one. But this first point, I mean, this, this, is, this is a lot to take in because this involves everything I am, everything I am, every bit of our being. If we offer God our body, then our spirit lives in our body. Our soul lives in our body. So, so everything about us, we're saying, God, you have all of me, all of me. That's a challenge. And here's what it involves. Everybody's going to get stepped on today. 
You can't be a Christian and not be a disciplined person. You can't be a committed Christian and not be a disciplined person because discipline is absolutely necessary to live out the Christian life. Paul the Apostle writes, and I love Paul, he will sometimes throw in sports illustrations. And there in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, I, I run. Not just to run, I run in the race to win. I'm in it to win it. And then he says, I, I'm not shadow boxing. So he uses track and field and, and running. He uses boxing. He says, I'm not shadow boxing. I'm in it to win it. I want to knock somebody out, you know. I, and so you think about the athlete. You think about the athlete that wins the prize. And if you are an athlete, you know the sacrifice every day you've made to train and to work out, and to discipline your body, because without that discipline, you ain't going to win the prize. You might be in the race, but you ain't going to win. And Paul says, I'm in it to win it. And he says with those sports illustrations, I beat my body. I make it my slave. Whoa, what a practical, what a practical word. Because if you don't make your body your slave, guess what? Your body and everything your body wants, it'll make you the slave. And you'll be doing just what your body craves and what your body wants. And if that's what we do, we'll never be disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, let's get real practical. What does it mean to discipline my body? Some people misquote this verse that Paul wrote in one of the letters to his young disciple, Timothy. And he said there, bodily exercise, and some people say it says bodily exercise doesn't profit. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the verse says. This bodily exercise profits a little compared to godliness, exercise bodily, you know, no comparison. And so it's a comparison, if you will, of gold's gym versus God's gym. And you can be faithful at gold's gym and everybody be impressed with your physical body, but you ain't in God's gym. And it's much more important to be daily in God's gym than it is to be in gold's gym. But that doesn't mean that gold's gym is not valuable. You know, I, I'm an old guy now. I'm old. And every birthday, it gets harder to exercise, but I still exercise. Why do I exercise? Because I love my wife, and I want to be healthy, and I want to be fit in life and in marriage. But that's not the only reason. I don't exercise just to, you know, there comes a point in your birthdays that you're not working out to impress anybody. And I'm telling you, exercise to me is not, it's not nearly as enjoyable as it was 30 years ago. 30 years ago, I'd exercise and I'm like, let's just do more. I could play basketball all afternoon. We would go to church. I'd do three or four services on a weekend at church. Sunday afternoon, I'd play basketball all afternoon. You know what I do now? I go home. I sleep. I sleep. I can sleep every day. And so it takes discipline for me to exercise. Christians ought to have self-control in their eating habits. It's quiet in every service when I talk about eating habits as it did in every service this weekend when I talked about sexual sin. And if you're not involved in sexual sin, you're like, yeah, yeah, you get them. They need to repent. And then he's talking about, talk, talking about food and everybody's like, whoa, whoa, 
Whoa, wait a minute. I threw in fasting because that leads us to the third. Did you realize that everything about devotional life requires discipline of my body? Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 4, he had a, a guy on his ministry team from Colossae, a guy named Epaphras. And he writes there in Colossians 4, and Epaphras is with him, and they're writing back to the church that Epaphras came from. And Paul says in the closing chapter of the letter, Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, I testify, he's wrestling in prayer for you. He's praying for his homies back, back in Colossae. And he used the term wrestling. You know anything about wrestling? Again, a sports illustration. Wrestling is one of the, the toughest sports you can, you can be a part of. You talk about the sacrifice. It's grueling. He's wrestling in prayer. Jesus, Garden of Gethsemane, greatest need in Jesus' life. He's going to the cross. He takes his closest disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane and the three closest, Peter, James, and John. And he says, come with me and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Pray with me for an hour. And every time Jesus goes off a little distance from them, and he's praying like he's never prayed before. He's sweating. There's blood mixed with his sweat. It's a medical term called hematidrosis. He, he was going to the cross. And every time he left that one session of prayer and went back to his disciples, guess what they were doing? They were sleeping. And guess what happened? They fell into temptation and they deserted him and fled at his greatest hour of need. And Jesus told him every time they, he came back and they were asleep and they woke up and he went off again. He comes back. They're asleep again. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's talking about the body. Every part of devotional life takes discipline. Luke five, it tells us Jesus in his earthly ministry, when he had a large following, a large church, but it says there in Luke chapter five, verses 15 and 16, yet Despite his success and the demands on his time, he often went through to lonely places where he prayed. That takes discipline. Just coming to church. I remember the days, here I'm the pastor of the church. My wife and I, we're both not only, I'm not only teaching every weekend. And at one point we had four services on a weekend. My goodness, that was hard. And we're both part of the worship team. I'm playing drums, she's playing keyboard, and we got four small children. You, don't you give me no belly aching about how hard it is to get up and get ready for church. I know what it's like. They get four small kids up and they're going crazy, you know, and it's like, get them all together and get them to church. You know, there are some advantages of being older now. The kids being a little older. But I watch some of you, and I see it on your faces. I see you, you made it here, but you made it. And it, you went through purgatory to get here. <laughs> but I commend you. It said when the Bible was written, when God inspired Hebrews, Hebrews, when the Bible was written, um, about people forsaking the assembling of themselves together, Hebrews 10, 25. It happened even years ago, back in the Bible days. And it says, don't you be like them, as the manner of some is. Don't you be like them. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, Hebrews 10.25, as the manner of some is. Don't be like that. We need to be together. The more people we have here, the greater the worship. Isn't the worship better when you have more people? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
All right, we got to move on. We got to move on. And we're back to sexual purity. You're involved in sexual sin. You cannot stand and say, God, you have my body. No, no, God doesn't have your body. Somebody else has got your body. You're living with somebody that's not biblically your husband or your wife, or you're involved physically, intimately with somebody that's not biblically your husband or your wife. You're living in sin. And I understand. Look, I'm at a point now I can say, and I hate to say it, but I sound like, sound like an old fogey. The culture has changed since I first received Christ when I was 19 years old. It was a wedding weekend for me. I did a wedding at the Vinoy on Friday. I did a renewal of vows 50 years, this couple, 50 years together. I did a renewal of vows on Saturday, and I share the gospel at every wedding event I'm at. Why? Because the marriage relationship is meant to typify the gospel. It's the bridegroom and the bride. It's Christ and the church. That's what Ephesians 5 says. And every time you come to a wedding and every time you think about earthly marriage, you ought to think about Christ and the church. And there needs to be purity in that relationship. And of all the practical reasons I could give you biblically why you shouldn't be involved in sexual sin, the greatest is you are marring what God's created, that sex is to be enjoyed in the holy bonds of matrimony and in no other relationship, in no other relationship. But look, we, we need revival in the church because we have people in this church and probably every church and people that are coming regularly. But they're involved with somebody that's not biblically their husband, not biblically their wife. I challenge you. I urge you. Repent today. Purify your life. Purify your life. Offer God your body. Amen? Amen. The text tells us it's a living sacrifice. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this, but you need to understand. A living sacrifice is a willing sacrifice. It's a whole lot easier to be a dead sacrifice. Bang! You're gone. Now we'll sacrifice you. That's not the kind of sacrifice. No. You have, and I have the privilege of laying our lives on the altar every day. But just as you have the privilege of laying your life on the altar every single day, you can also walk off the altar anytime, anytime, any day, anytime. You can say, okay, I'm not willing. And that's why the text, urge, I urge you, I urge you, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It's not only a willing sacrifice, it requires a daily commitment. Here's what Jesus said. I want you to say this with me. These are Jesus' words. You ready? Here we go. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Emphasis there on the daily. My friend Daniel Henderson years ago said to me, the great challenge of the Christian life is it is so daily. It's a daily commitment. It's a living sacrifice. Now the third part of our text, don't conform to the pattern of this world. I learned 1 John 2 when I first got saved, not long after I got saved in the old King James Version. And there he talks about the things in the world. And he talks about three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Now, those three umbrellas, every single sin goes under one of those umbrellas. Every time we sin, you either sin by lust of the flesh, bodily appetite, craving of what your body wants, satisfaction, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, Something you see, and the eyes of man are never satisfied. Or pride. 
Now, I want to give them to you in a little bit different form, but they're still lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And the first is the desire for physical satisfaction outside of the will of God. Outside of the will of God. That's very important to note. The devil came to Jesus to tempt him. And it was interesting, the timing. Jesus had fasted for 40 days and the spirit had led him into the wilderness. He's all alone. They tell me after a 40-day fast, and I've only fasted, I haven't fasted nearly 40 days in the past, but I have fasted long enough to, to experience what they say, that at a certain point in your fasting, the hunger pains go away. And at first, you're really hungry, but if you fast long enough, your hunger pains go away. But after 40 days, 40 days of fasting, at that point, your body is going to die if you don't eat something. And before the body dies, the hunger pains, they say, come back with a vengeance. So that a 40-day fast, at that point, you are hungrier than you've ever been in your life. And to that exact point, the Satan tempts Jesus. You know what he says to him? Since you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread and satisfy the hunger that your body is craving for. And that your body, interestingly, needs to live. And Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 8, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He pulled out his sword. He pulled out the word of God and he resisted the temptation of the enemy. Because to satisfy that physical hunger would have been to give in to Satan at that moment. And he would not do that. And by the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, he wins. That's the way you'll win. But he's not done with him. Then Matthew tells us he takes Jesus up to the highest point of the temple. And now, this is what, you know what the devil does? He quotes scripture to Jesus. He quotes an Old Testament scripture that talks about the angels lifting him up if he falls down, lest he dash his foot against a stone. And so the devil quotes that verse, and he's looking to use scripture to tempt Jesus. And what's he doing? He's trying to appeal to something glorious. Go ahead, throw yourself down, and let do a miracle. Let's see a miracle happen so that attention will be called to yourself. And it's interesting. He is the glorious one. And he's the only one worthy of glory. But this is Satan tempting him. And so again, he quotes scripture. And he resists the enemy. And again, he wins that battle. But Satan's not done with him yet. Then there's the desire for temporary material things over spiritual and eternal riches. The devil takes him and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, all these have been given to me and I can give it to you. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? And Jesus again quotes scripture. <laughs> pulls out the sword of the spirit and wins Again, but I love as the gospel writers record this for us, Luke is the only one that tells us in the temptation by Satan of Jesus in the wilderness, Luke is the only one that tells us when the devil departs from him after those tempting experiences, it says he left him, listen, he left him 
until an opportune time. We're so glad that you joined us for today's edition of The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. If you'd like to hear today's message from the Book of Romans again, or hear more from Pastor Danny Hodges, visit ccfstpete.church. You're also invited to join our Bible reading plan. Just look under the Resources tab on our website for more information. As you make your way through the Bible, you might be surprised how something you read hits your heart exactly where you're at or what you're going through. God's Word has a way of doing that, and it's unmistakably God's way of speaking to you. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment to ask you to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join with us in praying for the listeners of this program? You never know how someone might be impacted by hearing about God over the radio, even if they weren't intending to. Pray that listeners would be open to hearing the gospel message. Pray also that we'd continue seeking God's will for this program in teaching the Word and reaching the world. We'd also like to ask you to pray about supporting The Living Word financially. If you feel led, you can find a way to do this through our website, ccfstbete.church. Just click on the Give tab. We're so grateful for your support. Thanks for praying, giving, and listening here on The Living Word.